join us for the potluck. And so if you can join us for the potluck too, we would love to have you. Um, I'm sure I've, I've, I had the opportunity of taking him out to dinner the other night because uh, I knew that you guys were going to want to take all his time. And I thought, well, I want some one-on-one time myself. So we were able to have dinner uh, last night, but they're going to be around. Um, you may have to just give Bia some grace uh, because English is not her first language. She understands quite a bit, but she may have uh, Philip do some interpreting for her, and so, so that's wonderful. So, brother, with no further ado, I want to give you your time. Actually, go back and then start over. He's going to be way more impressive than, than me. So, thanks, man. Here's your clicker. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Pastor, do you usually preach up here, or do I, can, can I stay down here? Yeah. Now you can take that. Yeah, thank you. I like to stay close to people when I when I usually share the word of God. So um, it's a privilege to be back here. Um, some of you may recognize me. Some of you may not. I've only been here a couple of times, but the last time I was here was 2016, December of 2016. So almost seven years now, six and a half years or so. So it's been a good while. Um, but it is a privilege to be back here, primarily because you guys are a tremendous blessing to me and my ministry and now my my ministry with my wife so thank you i want to say that right up front thank you for everything you guys do for us and for your faithfulness and supporting us in brazil so what i'd like to do with you guys tonight or this this morning is to run through a little bit about our ministry um, for those who have not met us and may not know a little bit about what we do try to show you a little bit about what we do talk you through that and i want to bring at the end an application of where the Lord has brought us in these last couple of years of ministry, where we are at, and show you how that applies to the teaching of the Word of God to a tribal group out in the middle of the Amazon and a little bit of what's involved with that as we look at a passage of Scripture. So that's what I want to do this morning with you guys, okay? All tracking with me? Good? All right. So why? That's the question I want to address this morning is the question why. Go ahead. You guys can go down to junior church, some of you, if, you, if you'd like to. Sorry, Philip. Yeah. No problem. That's pretty cool to see church full of kids like that. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, just listening to a little bit of what you were sharing this morning, the announcements you guys were going through, I can see that Allegan's got a lot going. You guys got a lot of different projects going. Um, a lot of different ministries. That is awesome. And we happen to be one of those ministries, right, that you guys are supporting, not locally, but overseas in Brazil in the middle of the Amazon jungle. But I want to get into this question of why. And we're going to dig deeper into this. And I'm going to put this picture up here. This is an appropriate picture, right? Everybody loves this, right? Pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? But here's the question I want to ask you guys, and you don't have to answer me right off the bat, but just think about it. Why is it that we eat pizza the way we do? Why do we cut it in a triangular shape? And why is it, I mean, there might be an oddball out there, but for, the, for, mo for most of us, we start eating the pizza at the thin side. And we usually turn that slice so that the point points right towards us. Right? Why do we do that? Why? We're going to come back to that. But as you think about that, I want to take you to our, our church plant. I'll take you and just describe to you a little bit about what we're doing in Brazil. So we call it the Cachoeira Church Plant. Why Cachoeira? Cachoeira is the name of the people group that we work with in Brazil. It's a really small people group, only about 800 people or so. And they're spread out over three different river systems. 
the river system we work on, there's about nine villages there. And that river is actually called Kachuru in their language. And you can see the, the resemblance there in the name, Kachu. They just took the end off and they said Kachuru, and they turn into Kachu. And Yana is a suffix that means people, group, plural. So basically, the name of the people group and the name of the, the language is Kachuyana, which means the people of the Kachuru River. So that's how they give names to each other out there. There's a lot of different tribes. Um, and they speak different languages. Each one has their culture, their own language. But they usually call themselves by the names of the rivers that they live on. And that's how they call each other. Oh, the tribe that lives over there, or the group that lives over there, or the group that lives over there on the other river system. So that's why we say we call it the Kachuyana church plant. So our job is to take the gospel to people that have never heard the gospel before out in the middle of the jungle and present them the gospel in a way that they can understand it and hopefully see a church established and built that can stand on its own two feet and someday I can move away from there and they can continue on in the word of God. That's our, that's our plan, that's our purpose, and that's what we're, what we're aiming for. That's our goal. So to give you a little bit of context, this is what it looks like. Originally, this is what their roundhouses would look like. A village would have been just this. No other houses, just this pretty much. Maybe a little kitchen on the side, but pretty much just that. Um, and everybody would have lived in one communal house. Nowadays, it kind of lives spread out over the village. They use this house just to meet in. It's a big, big, big thatch roof. Um, it takes a lot to build that. But this is the context. It is right in the middle of the Amazon jungle. If you were to draw a circle of where the Amazon jungle reaches into the different countries and everything, and put your finger right in the middle of the circle, that's right where we're at. Right there in the middle, pretty much. So we work in two different villages, and that's where we primarily give our time. We go up the river system as well and visit the other villages, but it's primarily in these two different villages. Um, they're about 11, I'm sorry, I don't know, miles, but 11 kilometers apart in a straight line, and there's a massive waterfalls between the two of them, so um, we don't do that trip very often. We spend a month and a half in one village, and then we go and spend a month and a half in the other village. But this is what our, our houses look like in the first village. They call it the Hat Village um, uh, in Portuguese, Chapelle. And this is the second uh, village, our house in the second village. So we have houses in two, these two villages and where we spend our time. It's a long story and why we do that, why we go back and forth, but it was necessary in order to learn the language. Um, they split, and so we had to follow the ones that spoke the language, and that's the why we live in two different villages now and minister in those two different villages. So that's the context that we are working in. And this is my better half, Ana Beatriz. We've been married now for three years. I started working with the Kashriana back in 2009 or 2010. Went to Brazil in 2009, 2010. Started with the Kashriana. Worked for almost 10 years um, as a single there. And then finally, the Lord answered my prayers, answered your prayers, because I know many of you are praying for me as well. And um, now we've been married for about three years and been working together out there um, with the Kashriana people group. So what are our jobs? My wife's job and the, and, and the ministry is basically right now language learning, language and culture learning. That's what she focuses on. She's got a bunch of other things that go on too, but that takes the bulk of her time. So she spends a lot of time with the women. Um, besides cooking and cleaning and everything else, she spends a lot of time with the women trying to understand and learn the language and understand the culture. And she has brought a lot to the table in the last three years because as a single guy, even though I had 10 years with the people, I kind of only had access to the man's side of the culture. I can't just mosey on into a kitchen, you know, as a single guy and sit down and, what are you doing, you know? Can you teach me how to do that? Well, how do you do that? 
I couldn't do those kinds of things. So my wife is able to do that now. And so she brings a lot to the plate now, a lot of new information culturally that I didn't have access to because she has access to the ladies' side of the universe and, and, the, and the village. So her job is study in the morning pretty much. This is what she tries to do. Life in the jungle is hectic and crazy. You never know what's going to happen. You know, somebody could come screaming through the, the village, hey, wild pigs, and everybody's gone for the whole day, you know, chasing wild pigs through the jungle. So it just depends on what goes on. But her schedule is usually studying language in the morning and the cool of the day. And then in the afternoon, she'll try to go out in the gardens or in the fields with the women. That's where the women work mostly and spend the time with them out there or do some other chore in the village with the ladies. So that's what she's focusing on. This happens to be an older lady that she is also teaching and discipling. Um, and an older lady that is interested in learning how to read and write. That is amazing. When you think that this, this older lady has spent her entire life without knowing how to read and write, and she is interested in learning how to write her own name so she can sign documents, but primarily so she can read the scriptures that were translated into her language. Amazing. So my wife barely knows the language, but this lady's already, you got to teach me, got to teach me. So my wife is trying to teach her the little bit that she does know already, uh, um, how to read and write, teaching the old lady how to hold a pen and um, how to put that down on the paper properly, start from left to right, top to bottom, you know, getting her to trace out her, her name. She's already got her name down. She's got it memorized and, and writes it beautifully. She's a really, really cute old lady. But she comes every day nicely bathed, you know, I'm here. Any random old time, you know, it could be in the morning, it could be afternoon, it could be at night. She just shows up, and so my wife puts everything aside and sits down and gives her time to, to help her learn how to read and write. So that's my wife's job. Now, like I said, I've been there a lot longer, so I have the language down and most of the culture down. Um, I believe that God has finally gotten to this point where we finally understand the culture at a deep level, and that's what we want to talk about is the why this morning. But my job primarily is teaching. And so we've gotten to the point where I, I teach quite often. I teach twice a week, um, Sundays and Wednesdays. And sometimes um, my wife takes a, a meeting on, on uh, Fridays as well with the women. But I teach all in the language. Um, and, and when I'm there, uh, neither Portuguese nor English, just Kashwiana. So um, it takes a lot of preparing on my part. Uh, it's not my first language, obviously. And so there's a lot of preparing that goes into that so that I'm not botching it as I'm expounding the Word of God and trying to make that clear to them. So we have those opportunities, which are really cool. The people have given those uh, opportunities to teach them, and we're very thankful for that. This is teaching in the church, so we get to get everybody together. Um, mostly everybody in the village will come. Um, a couple people won't, but for the most part, everybody in the village comes. So that's about 120 people will come uh, to, the, to the meetings. So that's really nice. And another part of my uh, ministry is, oh, I lost the slides. Let me go back. It's translating. Um, we, we, might, we might get there. Um, it's translating. So I, uh, I have started now translating the Word of God into their language, right? Remember what I said in the beginning? Our goal is to establish a church among these people, right? Not just tell them about Jesus, but actually see a church grow. Well, one of the principal pieces of having a church is having the Word of God in your own language. Let me back that up and see if it works. No, nope. empty, huh? That's okay. That's fine. That's, that's okay. Okay. No problem. All right. So, yeah. So, language learning. Or, excuse me, translation. So, we focus and give a lot of attention to translation because if 
didn't, if we didn't have what you have in your laps or on your cell phones or, or in, the, in, the, in the pews back there, the Word of God in a language that you can read and understand, there'd be no sense of even getting together here. We would just be talking to each other about what we think God says, about what we think God's like, but we really wouldn't have a reference point, right? So they need that reference point in their language so that one day when I'm not there, they can go to the Word of God for themselves and feed on that spiritually, correct? So we spend a lot of time in, in translation, and we work really hard with, with um, translation. It's something that we kicked off just recently. Um, kind of got started a while back, but we're actually really moving into it now. Um, we got Genesis drafted, and some portions of Exodus and Deuteronomy also drafted. And sometime in August, we'll have a consultant come down and check our work, and hopefully it'll be all good, and we'll be able to say, okay, done with Genesis, moving on to the next book, moving on to the next portions. And we're working our way through the Bible, picking portions that are important from beginning to end uh, so that we can have those materials to teach from. So that I'm standing up there and I'm saying, okay, this is what the Word of God says and not what Philip says. You want to look at it? Read it for yourselves, right? So that's part of my job right now is, um, is translation. And I, ha I had a picture, and I, uh, it's a bummer we're not going to get it up there, but it was a picture of all these monkeys all diced up um, and, and on, on top of a fire and ready to go. My first week in the, in the village, and I may have shared this with you guys the last time I was here, but the first week I was there in, in the village, they took me on a hunting trip to get ready for Easter, actually. They had this big celebration. It doesn't look like ours at all. It's just a bunch of dancing and eating and feasting. But they went to the jungle to go hunting, and they took me, and they shot a whole bunch of monkeys. And that's what they eat there. And so they had this all out on top of this fire, and I'm looking at this going, oh, my word. And it looks like a bunch of people just chopped up and thrown on this rack on top of the fire. It's, really, it's a really scary picture. But that's what they eat, right? And the question I wanted to bring to our minds as we think about that is why? Going back to the pizza. Why do you eat pizza the way you eat pizza? Why? Because it's easy to eat. Some people might actually like the crust better and might want to start with the crust. Yeah. Historic? Tradition? Yeah. It's kind of hard to know why, right? We just kind of do it that way. I mean, if somebody were to come, come to your house or if Domino's or Papa John's or whatever was to show, show up and deliver your pizza and it's all cut in little circles, you'd be like, what? What are they doing? I don't know. It's just what we're used to. It's just the way it is. And that's a, that's a silly example, right? But that's to say there are issues in our culture that are very, very, very deep. They're the questions. They're, they're the, it's the question why. And it's the question that is very hard for us to answer. If somebody were to come to you and say, why do you guys name your children with a first name, a middle name, and a last name? Ah, I don't know. Why not just the first name and the last name? Why not just the first name? Why not a first name, a middle name, and the two last names? Your mother's maiden name and your father's last name. Why not? Some do, yeah. Some cultures do. Some cultures do. But see, those kind of questions are deep. We don't know why we do that. We just do it. And that's, that's what I want to get to here. As I began to work through the culture, the Kashriana culture, and I began to look at them, and I'm like, why do they eat monkey like that? And the funny thing is, after all these years of studying culture, I could tell you where they go to hunt monkey, 
what kinds of monkey they like to hunt, what time of the year, the best time of the year to go hunt those monkey, who goes hunt, hunting for those monkey because it's not any kind of man, what they use to kill those monkeys, what kind of a hill those monkeys are found on, what kind of trees those monkeys run in, what kind of fruit they like, how to call the monkeys in, how to prepare them, which ones they like, male or female. They actually only like the, the females because the males smell bad. Um, yeah, go figure, right? Kind of, yeah. But I could tell you all those details about the, the, the culture, but I was, I was coming to a point where I couldn't quite get to the whys, the deep level whys of culture. They're down below. And we were really struggling with this. I was ready to get going on teaching. I, know the, I knew the language. I'm starting translation. But this is really bothering me because in our mission board, we put a lot of emphasis on knowing the culture deeply so that we're not making mistakes or at least minimizing our mistakes as we, as we communicate the gospel to somebody who's completely different and thinks about the world in a completely different way. So this is bothering me. And we're working hard on this. And my wife was trying to help me. She was, she was um, organizing our culture file and doing a write-up on our culture file. But we're realizing, you know what? This is all superficial. These are just details. We really don't know the why. And as we began to think about that, um, we, we started doing lesson development. This is a buddy of mine who's helping us do lesson development. And we're running into these questions and thinking, uh-oh, we don't really know the why. And we got to a point where, like, you know what? We can't go any farther than this. This is about as far as we can go with this. And we sat down, literally sat down, very discouraged that night. It was me, myself, my wife, and his wife, uh, and, and his wife, him and his wife, um, the two couples. We sat down over, over supper, shed a couple tears, because it's a lot of work, a lot of time, over 10 years, and we're realizing, you know what? We're probably still not ready. And we sat down and we prayed, and we asked the Lord to help us because we had done everything we knew how to do, and we didn't know where else to look for help. That same night, as we went to bed, we got messages from a missionary who was kind of in a similar situation, and he had gotten help from another missionary who actually has a really good gift at analyzing culture. He does a really good job with that. And that guy had given him some, um, had shared some information with him that helped him understand the deep levels of why in the culture. And he shared that with us. He's like, just take a look at it. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's right for your context to you know. It might be a little bit different than you're thinking, but just take a look at the material and see if it's helpful for you guys. Well, obviously, the next morning we got up and we, we dug through that and we started looking at it, and it was amazing. It started connecting all the dots for us that everything started to fall into place, and we were like, whoa, this is scary. Like, it, how well this is fitting with the culture and everything that we know about the culture. So I want to just show you a little bit about that. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this text, um, which is the fall. It's kind of small up there, but you know the story well. It's Genesis chapter 3, talking about how Adam and Eve um, turned their backs on God, uh, obeyed the serpent, or at least believed what the serpent had to say about God, and ate the fruit, and here we are. We got the problem that we have, right? So what I want to do is talk about how the understanding of culture applies to a lesson like that and why we need to know the whys. So this is the way we, a way to look at culture, okay? There's many different models, but this is one of the ways. Everything that's above that line is what we call material culture. It's the society. It's the things we see, the way people dress, where they sit. You sit in pews. You come, uh, the kinds of things you wear on your face. 
your, uh, your uh, glasses, the kinds of things you like to eat, how you eat, the way you build your houses, all that kind of stuff. The things that are kind of obvious, the easy stuff, that's the stuff that's above that line. But there's a whole level, level to culture that's below that line. That's what we call the, th the thought system or the operational logic. It's the logic we use to make the decisions we make in life. It's that, that logic. It's, the, it's a layer below. It's the kinds of things you don't see. It's the things that's going on in your mind, and I can only guess what's going on. I don't really see it. I can see the outworkings of it and the decisions you make, but I can't really see what's going on in your head. That's that level of culture. It's the belief systems. And the beliefs they have, the stories they have, the myths and the stories they have support that logic that then makes the decisions on the way they do the things that they do in life. But below all of that still, there's another sub-level of culture, which we call the ultimate reality. It's this, the presupposition, the fundamental presupposition we have about life, and it's the very thing that it's almost impossible for you to describe. Even though you're an American, you live in Michigan, Allegan, Michigan, you've lived here all your life, you speak English, but it is the very presupposition, the way, it's the thing that you build all of your reality on. And it's really hard for us to describe it because it's just a given. It just is. We never ever question it. We never ever think that there's another way of looking at life, another lens to look through. That is the, this really, 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 really deep level of culture. It's the ultimate reality. So applying that then to the Kashriyana culture, here's what we found out. On that top level, and this was an easy one, right? Because it's what we see. They're existential. What does existential mean? Existential comes from the word exist. They are here for the right now. They're not focused on the past. They're not worried about what happened in the past. They're not worried about traditions, about, oh, my grandfather, he was a hero, and he did this, and he did that. And my grandmother, you know, she was the one that helped establish this village, and she held it together when we were going through a really uh, hard time and a drought. No, has nothing to do with that. They, they don't focus on those things. And they don't focus on the future. They don't plan. They're not thinking, okay, you know what? We're going to have about four kids, maybe three, and we're going to have to work really hard, plant extra big gardens because we want our kids to grow up healthy, and then when they get older, we want to send them to town so they can get an education, maybe go to a high school in town. So you know what? We better start teaching them Portuguese a little bit, so let's see what we can do. No, they're not thinking that way at all. They're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about the past. They're thinking about today. How can I fill my belly? That's what they're thinking about. That's the way the culture functions. They're existential. So the decisions they make happen to be all immediate. So they're not worried about what's going to happen to you tomorrow, whether you're going to have food or not, whether your house is going to fall over or not. They're worried about where are you going to, what are you going to eat today, where are you going to sleep. That's what they want to know. And that's what they focus on. So that's the existential part. But another part is the magical and totemic. So they, uh, at the deeper level, they are magical. Everything to them is magical. Everything. Medicine, the way medicine works, it's all magic. And you've got to know the right magic to get the right kind of result. If you want your gardens to produce properly, you better know the right tricks. You better know how to manipulate that magic. You better know the right chants. You better know the right rituals, or else you won't get what you want. So everything to them in life is magical. There's magic in everything. Along with magic is what they call totemism. And here's the big one. They divide their culture into two different groups, the male group 
and the female group. And we didn't know this. We were, I lived there 10 years, folks, and I didn't pick up on this until somebody helped me see this. Um, this is the whys, the deep level stuff. So what we figured out is in order for the magic to function, you have to align yourself with your totem, with your identity. If you're a male, you align yourself with the males. If you're female, you align yourself with the female. And the female world has everything to do with the gardens and the, and the, and the depths of the river. Because the females, historically, or in their myths, came from the river as a fish that was fished out. So everything that has to do with the gardens and the, and the depths of the river is the, world, is the female's universe. Everything that has to do with the jungle is the man's universe. So cutting down the jungle, hunting, fishing, um, all the vines they use for weaving, the weaving, everything that comes from the jungle is the man's business. So we began to understand the culture at a much deeper level. So why is it that the men don't carry the heavy baskets, the huge heavy baskets of firewood? It's not their job. It's the women's universe. So why is it the women don't do the weaving, which is an easy job? All the material for weaving comes from the jungle. It's the man's universe. And they began, you begin to then see the logic that they use to operate in life. And it's at this deeper level. But behind all of that is yet one more thing, is what they call mana, life force. It's this deep, deep, deep level. And what they, what they believe is that there's this life force that is impersonal that permeates absolutely everything in the universe. And we have part of that life force. Everything has a part of that life force. But we use magic to manipulate the life force to get what we want. Because mana, the life force, can be good or can be bad. It doesn't matter. It's just one or the other, just the way you use it. Right? And so if you're a wise and a really good person, you pay attention to how to use magic and how to manipulate mana. And you also are very careful about aligning yourself with your totem and never stepping out of that. Because if you align yourself with your totem, then you use the magic properly. And then the mana flows. And when manna flows, your gardens grow, your children are healthy, you, don't have, um, you have a big family, life is great. But if you don't do all that, then you mess it all up. And so at the very lo the lowest level of their culture is this understanding that there's this impersonal force. You don't talk to it, you don't pray um, to it, you don't sacrifice to it, it just is. Okay, why is that important? Let's try to run through this real quick. The fall. So really cool, just on the linguistic level, as we start the story of the fall, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. All the things that are in red are all the problematic, all the problems that they're going to have as a culture. So as I teach, these are the things I have to have in my head and understand, uh-oh, they're going to understand this differently than I thought they were going to understand. I can get up there and say, now how to ahkum kumu. And I can tell you the whole story in Kashriana without a problem. I know the language. The problem is, did I really know where that seed was falling? Had I prepared that ground so that they could understand the Word of God? Had I pulled out all those weeds that their culture had, had creates, that, which entangles the true understanding of the Word of God? And that's where we are at now as we look at this deep level and we're trying to do that. We're trying to pull all the weeds out, clear the way so that when I preach the word of God, when I give them the word of God, it falls on prepared soil and they can understand it as God wants them to understand it. Okay? So, cool thing. Right off the bat, the serpent. 
Interesting, huh? How in English the, the serpent's not introduced. In all of our stories in English, we always introduce our main characters. This is a main character in this, in this story. And right off the bat, the serpent. What's really cool is the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew does this, um, or actually, yeah, the way they, they used to do this fits very much with the way the Kashwiana tell stories. They don't introduce their main characters. They just jump right into it. And as they go along, they add information. And that's exactly the way this text flows. And so they're thinking, oh, yeah, we're jiving. We're tracking. Yeah, let's keep going. We're, we got gotcha. you. We, we're understanding this. And then it says, the Lord God made. Well, in their myths, who's the Lord God? Manna. Actually, they have these demigods who are just the manifestation of manna, who have a lot of power, but where does their power come from? Learning how to manipulate magic. And what did their demigods do? They transformed things using magic to create the, the world that we have. And what does God do? He creates. So they're thinking, yep, yep, your God is just like our demigod. He's, he's really good at, at, at manipulating manna. Yep, we got it. We're, we're tracking. That's right. Good. Move on. And I'm thinking, great, they got this, right? Let's move on. They got this down. Totally wrong understanding of what we're trying to say. Let me jump to another one here that's interesting. Um, that part there where it says the, the next line down, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? Most of their magic has to do with food. And all of a sudden you see God, the, demi, the demigod, who's really good at manipulating magic, gives them a taboo. And they're thinking, yep, that's right. Yep, when, when we're pregnant, my wife can't eat this. And when, when the baby's born, I can't hunt that. And I can't eat that. And if I eat that, then my wife, my kid gets sick. The spirit gets sick. And yep, we're, tra we're tracking. That sounds great. Yep. Is that what God really meant? No. Right? And so this is why we have to understand culture at that deep, deep level. Um, another example, and I'll move to the very the end of, our, uh, of uh, what I have to say here. Uh, let's see here. Let me pick one out of here. Um, so, yeah, the, the, uh, verse 4. Uh, the serpent says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This fits exactly with the way they think because God, uh, the manna is impersonal, good and bad. Therefore, our job is to manipulate the manna according to what we want. Therefore, there really is no morality. There really is no good and evil. It's just the way you use manna, right? And guess what their demigods did? Tricked their way into getting what they wanted. So they would be deceitful, they would steal, they would lie to get what they wanted. And then all of a sudden, the serpent is saying about God, yeah, that demigod, that Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh God, he's, he's just pulling the wool over your eyes. That's not the right way to do that taboo. That's not even really a, a true taboo. And the Kashrian are going, yeah, what? that's just like what we believe. And they're nodding their heads and they got big smiles on their faces. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm doing an awesome job here teaching the Word of God. When really they're understanding it completely wrong. 
completely different than what I, what I what really want to communicate to them. And let me end with this. One of the most important parts of this passage, as I look through this, you know, and I think, wow, I'm going to have to be very clear on all these points that are in red. Every last one of these, I'm going to have to make sure that they're understanding properly what I'm saying and not just making the connections to their myths and to the way that they have always looked at life, right? But what's central in this passage, the thing that I would probably most focus on as I teach this to them, is this little verse here, verse 9, that says, But the Lord God called to, to the man, Where are you? And that's not usually something that we focus on as we think about the passage of the fall of man. But to them, this is going to be huge. Why is that? Remember I said that manna was this impersonal force? It can manifest itself in the demiurgs and it's in us and many other things. But it is impersonal. It doesn't care about you. It could care less about the details about who you are. How many hairs are on your head? The color of your eyes? Where you were born? The problems that you have? The struggles you're facing? And your feelings? Kashiana hardly ever cry. Because nobody cares about feelings. Life's just hard. That's the way they've been told to look at life. And all of a sudden, here's the first example of a God who is completely different than anything they have ever heard of. A God that after his own creation, his own transformations, as they would call it, turned their back on him, did not believe him, even though he was loving and he provided everything for them. What would be the, 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 the natural response for the Kashriyana? Forget about them. Let them deal with their own problems now. You know what? I might as well just wipe them out and start over. You know what? I'm not even going to create humans anymore. They're just a mess. Let's just be demi demigods over here and let's just exist on our own with the force. That's the way the Kashriyana would think about the story. But all of a sudden, right here in the middle, you get this, you get this um, snippet of where God comes down out of heaven and he could have very well done that with Adam and Eve. Said, you know what? I'm done with you guys. I gave you, I created you. I gave you everything. I put you in the best environment possible. I gave you all the oppor opportunities possible. And you turned your back on me? Because the first person that showed up said that I was telling you a lie? How hurtful is that? So God could have very much done that. But he doesn't. He steps down into history, back into the garden, walks through the garden. And what does he do? Adam. Adam, where are you? Where are you? He reaches out for us. Why? And here's, here's the central part. He created us for a personal relationship. And I get, I get the goosebumps because that doesn't exist with the Kashriyana. They are... They, they are um, wait, I'm trying to find the word in English. They do not trust even their closest relatives. Why? Because their worldview is founded on this idea that there's this impersonal force that really doesn't care about anything. That's not the way we think about life. Our entire worldview is built on the idea that there was this personal God who created humanity because he wanted us to be a part of the relationship that he had in the Trinity. And so he steps down into the garden, 
even after Adam and Eve sinned, and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? He knew where Adam was at, but he was reaching out, asking for Adam to come back, giving Adam the chance to confess. That is our God. A God that is completely different than anything they have ever heard about. And that's what we're there to, to try to share. So that's what I have for you guys this morning. The whys, they are important. But as we think about God, our God, let us not forget that He is above and beyond everything, anything that we can imagine, and that He desires a deep and profound relationship with every one of us, including the Kashriyana out in the jungle. So thank you for standing behind us. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting us. What you do is incredibly important. Thank you very much.